0: So for the past week or so, I found myself driving across Texas on assignment. And during much of that time, I listened to Bust, the autobiographical podcast hosted by Ryan Leaf, the former number two NFL draft pick whose career and life hit the shitter before a marvelous rebound. And while listening to Ryan's highs and lows and lows, I kept thinking about how much more fascinating his life has been than that of Peyton Manning, the man selected before him. Ryan has battled addiction. He's served time. He's alienated friends and family. And ultimately, he fought back. He emerged. And in this world of star praising, I believe that too often we praise the wrong stars. Winning a couple of Super Bowls? Meh, no biggie. Bouncing back from the dead? Now that's a story. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. And today's guest is Jason Thark, the author of dozens of controversial children's books, which sets incendiary titles as It's Okay to Be a Unicorn, Kindness is Cool, and Nugget and Dog. And recently, An Ohio elementary school that invited Jason to speak to students demanded that he not discuss it's okay to be a unicorn because mm, the book's title suggests a gay agenda or um, something fucking stupid like that. This is episode number 261. Let's sling some yang. Dad, your
1: podcast sucks and you smell like vinegar and cottage cheese.
0: All right, Jason, you're the author of some very controversial books, including It's Okay to Smell Good, Nugget and Dog, Bunny Will Not Be Quiet, The Best You, Kindness is Cool, and the most controversial book in your controversial catalog, <laughs> It's Okay to Be a Unicorn, an aspiring picture book features unicorn pretending to be a horse until he learns to embrace his true self, a controversial, communistic manifesto that needs to be banned from schools everywhere, Thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Troublemaker. I'm glad I could be here. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. right, so you, um, it's funny. One goes to your website and it's just a ode to bright colors and feel good books. You write books for kids. You're an illustrator and a writer. And um, I came upon you because I was you know, reading a news story that you were scheduled to speak Uh, in early April at a school in Ohio, an elementary school in Ohio, um, West Elementary in the Buckeye Valley local school district. And um, somehow you were denied a chance to, to talk to kids because someone thought that your book, It's Okay to Be a Unicorn, would indoctrinate kids to catch the gay disease or something of this nature. And then you were all over the news and then you were everywhere. And I guess I'll ask, first of all, what was that like for you?
1: uh, well, first I, I, did, I did go to the school. I stuck with my plan of going to school. I just wasn't allowed to talk or refer anything about the book, but yeah, like, uh, I, I didn't want to let the kids down. So I definitely still went to the school and, uh, yeah, the aftermath of that was, uh, unreal. Uh, you know, it, it was like, uh, I guess the best way to think about it is like driving down the highway and all of a sudden just yanking your head outside the window and, and just getting that blowback right away. And, um, but, you know, it was one of those things where you kind of look at like, well, this is, a uh, you know, it's clearly a passion project or a passion thing that's going on right now where people are seeing there's something happening. Um, so it was kind of cool to 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 get that experience. But at the same time, it kind of all, at the same time personally made me realize that I'm on the right path with what, you know, I'm doing with these books, because I guess, you know, getting people to buy, believe in themselves right now must be the right thing to do. Otherwise, why would so many people be trying to
0: upend something as simple as a unicorn book? You're scheduled to speak. It's okay. Yep. Great. I'm sure you do a lot of these or a decent amount of these. You go to a school. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and you know, all authors have these things where you go and you're talking, it's great and it's cool. And if, in your case, you talk to a bunch of kids, you read to them, they're happy. Uh, one of your books again, is called it's okay to be a unicorn. It's a very adorable cover with four unicorns written and and illustrated by you how do you find out that you cannot talk about it's okay to be a unicorn and how is it sort of explained to you
1: yeah so i you know they had all the material about six to eight weeks before uh i was there like you said my site it's pretty right out in front you know what i'm about videos all that stuff like that and um you know, the, the school itself, like the parents. So I think of what I do kind of like a book fair, right. Traveling book fair. I send, you know, I have like, I think eight, 18 books. So I'll send all of the sales materials home to the school or to the schools. And then they send it to the parents where the parents can do their own research. You know, they can read a book, read about me, all that stuff like that. And then, um, prior to the visit, you know, all that stuff set up. Well, the day before the visit, I'm, um, drop my kid off at school and I get a phone call from the school. And I was expecting it to be like the media specialist or librarian, because this school had, um, the parents had ordered almost like little pretty darn close to 500 books of like mixed ones, which is a pretty good, that's a pretty good amount for like one visit. So I thought, well, they must be calling to straighten out last minute things. And when I answered it was the principal and, uh, I was, you know, it was very clear. I mean, out of the gate, that this this dude was not interested in having this conversation. It was coming from somebody above him, and uh, it was just like, you know, so could you tell me about this unicorn book and how you're going to talk about it? And there's a parent that's that has an issue with it, and he, he he's kind of waffling back and forth because it's very uncomfortable to him. And I just kind of interrupted. And I said, "So let me ask you, like, did somebody think I made a gay book?" And I based that off of just all the stuff that's happening right now with, you know, the Florida stuff and all these things like that. And, and it was almost like this relief came over because he didn't have to say it. And he was just like, yeah. And I'm like, how many people? And he's like, it's a parent. And I'm like, like one. And he's like, yeah, i okay. So I explained that I don't actually talk about the book. I actually don't read the book to anybody outside of preschool, the first graders, because let's face it, preschool and first graders are like herding cats, you really have to entertain them. So I talk about, I talk about three different things, like kindness, uniqueness, and practice, and how that's important when you're little. Um, Then I talk about the unicorn book and how I came up with the idea, what it really means, and then how to make a story, like kind of how to arch a story. Then we read the book to kind of show them how come together and I teach them how to draw it um and then i sat in my car and i did my whole presentation for them so that way they could see that like you know i don't talk about the unicorn as a you know gay mascot or anything like that and um and so i offered up it's okay to smell good which is a skunk book it has nothing to do with unicorns or rainbows i don't even think there is any in there uh lots of fart jokes like so kids would love it and uh He's like, Oh, I got to run that up the flagpole and I'll call you back or whatever. So I get an email about half hour later that central office doesn't want me to read. It's okay to smell good or talk about that one either. And I'm like, and I called because I was like, I don't know if I'm reading this correctly. And uh, you know, the, the response was, well, people in central office believe that that could be opening a can of worms and it could be twisted into a different agenda. And it's just like okay, well then I'm not gonna do any of that. I'll just come and we'll cut it in half for that group. And then later on, I found out that they were taking down kids' artwork, uh, you know, that had unicorns and rainbows on it, and uh, all this, you know, this crazy stuff that you just kind of left scratching your head with, and and you just realized that like it, you know, it probably doesn't have much to do with my book as much as it has to do with somebody, you know, something other agenda that these people are projecting onto little kids that only see rainbows and unicorns. I mean, if you've ever been around a kid, uh, you know, you show them rainbow unicorn, they don't go like, they don't scream out gay. Like they don't feel, they, they say like, Oh, cool. Like I love unicorns and rainbows. Like it it's uh, yeah,
0: it's, it's crazy to me. It freaking breaks my heart. Like it actually breaks my heart and not for you and book sales. Like it breaks my heart. Because what the fuck? Like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, like, what are you people talking about? Like, what are you, what are you doing? It's so much bigger than a book. It's like, what are you, what, what are you even talking
1: about? Yeah, that was the uh, the the part that that kind of like you said just gutted me. It wasn't so much like you can't read your book and you can't like okay whatever like I, I'm I'm fine with that. Like if you don't like my book that's okay. But what crushed me was hearing that they took down, made the kids take down their artwork and hearing from inside that kids were saying stuff like, well, wait, why are we taking this down? He hasn't been here to see it yet. And finding out that they just replaced the artwork with other artwork that way it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't become unnoticed and that I just wouldn't see the rainbows and unicorns. And I just like remember going like, you know, number one, like, I knew at six years old, this is why it's so important to me to talk to these kids at this age, because I was a kindergartner, right? Kindergarten, first grade, when I knew that I wanted to do this when I grew up. And if I would have been able to have somebody in the small town I lived in that was an author, an illustrator, come to my school and see my artwork. Because back then, I didn't have, when I said that, it wasn't like my, people in my town went like, yeah, you could do that. It was like, dude, that is the dumbest idea and you're never going to make it. It was the exact opposite. So to have an author or illustrator come in when I was that age, I would have like loved it. And you know, that's the stuff that what these people can't see and they don't understand is how many times kids after I'm done speaking, come up to me just to see the show me what they drew just to get a fist bump and hear me say that. Good job and the grin that they get. And I I feel like that's what we, what was taken from those kids. And uh, yeah, it has nothing to do in my mind with books or book sales. It's really about the experience of just magic and touching another person's heart that like, Hey, I, I know what it was like to be your age, to dream big, to feel like it was impossible. And I also know what it feels like to grow up, to get to do that and I got a roadmap for you and I just want to help you in a little ways. And yeah, that, that, that's the bummer.
0: All right. Just so I understand this, it's okay to be a unicorn. <laughs> what does a unicorn have to do with, is it cause there's rainbows in the book? Like, is that the whole, is that it? Yeah. That, I and mean, that's, that's kind of what came back
1: from what I understood <laughs> was that it, the agenda is that there's rainbows and unicorns and there's rainbows on the cover which there's not um it's on the back of the book um yeah that, that that's kind of it i mean it, it's the proof is that like there clearly no one read this book the people that cancel it i mean it's 32 pages dude it takes me five minutes to read it like it's still you know like to vet this book would have been like you know all right, like, let's just flip through this real quick. Oh, okay, cool. It's, it, you know, it, it's, I've heard anything from, you know, it's a book about a, a unicorn that's transitioning to a horse. And I'm like, well, you didn't read the book. I've heard like, you know, it's about like, horses want to be everybody to accept them for who they are. And I'm like, you know, okay, well, like, what you don't think the kid that has a lisp or the kid that's in a wheelchair or the kid that, you know, has some sort of learning disability or a kid that's the like, bullied and picked on, they also don't want to feel like they like themselves and accepted. Like it's clearly adult perspectives being projected onto a child's book.
0: It's really interesting. I am from a small town like you. I'm from a small town in upstate New York. And, um, okay. Recently there have been efforts by a group of parents to ban books and keep kids from reading certain books. And two of the books are gender queer and the hate you give. Right. And, um, I had the hate you give the author of hate the hate you give is Angie Thomas. I had her on my podcast. I read the hate you give, which is one of my daughter's favorite books. I don't know if you've read the hate you give. It's freaking fantastic. I'm going to write down. It's great. It's awesome. And it's a kid's book, teenage book, young adult. And um, you have all these parents protesting against these books. And there's one parent in particular. And <laughs> in her posts, she doesn't know how to punctuate. Her sentences are all run on. She's, you know, she doesn't know when to capitalize, when not to capitalize, and these people are telling schools how they should educate children, and the schools are listening to them because they just don't feel like dealing, and they're intimidated and they're beaten down. What are we supposed to do about this? Like, you're kind of in the front. You've you've faced it. I have not faced it. My books are for adults. Like, you've faced this. Like, what what are we supposed to do about this whole thing?
1: Yeah, it's 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 difficult, and what I've kind of put out there with people in this process of what I've learned is it's the importance of understanding who you're electing as your leaders, right? Like they, like these parents are, are putting these people in. And I, I would, I would suspect that, you know, and I'm guilty of it myself is that sometimes you'll vote for people or whatever that you don't really know what they stand for. Or if you don't, and especially in a small town, if you don't take the time to get to know that person, especially if it went small enough that you could get to know them. And what happens is, is that they get elected. And, you know, after the fact, it's almost like buyer's remorse, like, oh, no, like this person's doing this now and we disagree. So I think what's happened is a lot of people are kind of in that spot of like, what do we do, you know, and you know, it's bear. I mean, I've gotten lots of messages, like uh, embarrassment, you know, different things like this. And, you know, I think that one of the things that I wish that would happen in schools, um, you know, we have all this thing about standardized testing and stuff like that, but I wish that we could teach our kids like emotional management, like how to understand being a human. I think that, you know, in this world right now, we live in a Social world, but people have not figured out how to be human in a social world, and that we're all going through stuff like we're all trying to figure out everything. And it's what is the craziest thing is what we're taking away in this process of banning these books is the tools for those kids that are struggling to find out whatever, like you know, the hate you give, like that. Just because an adult reads it doesn't mean a kid reads it the same way. Like for a kid, it could be a lifeline. I know for me, when I was a kid, Shel Silverstein was my lifeline. I mean, it was like where the sidewalk ends like saved me so many times because I felt seen. And, you know, now if he came around, like, would it be okay that he was an illustrator for Playboy for a long time? Would it be okay that he had a lifestyle that was completely like against being a, children's author would he get canceled now because of that dr Seuss I mean all these things it's
0: it's uh it's almost like they forgot what it was like to be a kid you are no longer allowed any nuances whatsoever none yeah Not, there's no like I would say one thing I learned in journalism definitely is people are gray and there's no like people used to say to me when I was a young journalist I'd cover baseball player people would say oh is he a, so is he a good guy and I'd be like yeah he's a good guy but they there's no such thing. Like we're all multiple layers and you have to allow people to have their flaws and their in, you know, imperfections and so on. So we do not allow that at all anymore. You're called out immediately. Yeah. Everybody messes up. I mean, it, it, that was one of the
1: big things that, you know, I had to learn about myself because, you know, I grew up as an adult that hated myself, but it all was rooted in my childhood. You know, it was like, I spent so much time thinking there was something wrong with me because of the way, you know, I had, uh, you know, dogmatic stuff as a kid where it was like, you know, I felt one way, but like I was a bad person. Cause I didn't feel and it just kind of builds up. And when you don't realize that, like people, everybody makes mistakes. And I was taught that you're supposed to live a perfect life. If you're not perfect, then you're bad. Well, that compounds up. And it's like, yeah, you just don't, you, you don't, people don't realize that like every single person you see is going through something and every single person makes a mistake and has things that they regret. But like, I, I did this post yesterday and it was amazing. The response I got from uh, this group was I asked the question of, what do you think would happen? Or I wonder what would happen if all of a sudden people showed grace. What do you think the first response was? And I said mine was, I think it would be overwhelmed because sometimes people, when they're expecting nothing but hate and they see love for the first time, your first thing is you put a guard up and expect something's up and i feel like that's what we're in right now like it's always like okay you want to talk to me what kind of crap are you bringing to the table first there's never a you know you, can't, you
0: have to filter yeah that's interesting i i, I had this in, in my head i feel like marjorie taylor green needs a hug like she needs like someone to give her a good hug and be like we can disagree <laughs> you know what it's okay with right. both people you know like it's okay um wait i do want to ask when you show up at the school and you decide to speak and you're like you okay, I'm not going to talk about these two books. Were you conflicted? Did you have feelings of sort of anger when you're sitting there or did you just have to let it go?
1: Actually I, I mean I came kind of the opposite way I was so amped about coming to this and if anything, I would guess that these this group of this school kids they actually got more of me because I was more passionate about because I felt like if this is what's happening in their community they need to hear this more than anything because, You know, it's like, uh, it it reminded me a lot of where I grew up and what I felt, right? Like where it was like that closed-minded kind of thought process and not kind of fitting in. So I was just really kind of amped about like, you know, okay, like be present today more than any other day, be present today. And, you know, and I'm not much, I mean, I, you know, last July I got, uh, I had a seizure and was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer. And like, so I don't really hold on to anger that much anymore. Like I, I used to be a very angry person, but you know, there's a lot of clarity that comes with a brain tumor that, you know, you kind of let go of stuff. So the anger part really, it was more disappointment, you know, but then I feel like I can combat that disappointment with, uh, just, I mean, pouring my heart out in front of these kids and and really kind of like showing them that somebody cares. Like, so,
0: um, I want to talk about your background. First of all, you have on your website, this, it's one of the best things on the internet, and you know there's a lot on the internet, which is just your about page, which is jasontharp.com backslash about. Uh, you illustrate beautifully your life story, sort of in pictures and quick words. You were, uh, again, as we touched upon, grew up in a small town.
1: What town are you from, actually? I grew up in a, a town called Mount Vernon, Fredericktown area in uh, Ohio. It's kind of a little bit s- central, but a little
0: like east central, yeah. I feel like you and I basically grew up in the same hometown. The way you describe your hometown, um, probably so. Yeah, very, yeah. very small. <laughs> very. Uh, and uh, you know, you tell your story. You were you were a kid who sort of had no confidence. You didn't feel like you fit in. You gained almost. You got to balloon to almost 400 pounds. You lost 180 pounds. What was you said? You quit your corporate job. What was your corporate job? I love people who quit their corporate jobs.
1: I worked at I worked at Bath and Body Works. Uh, as the a package designer, which was a good job. I actually liked that a lot. And then I left there and went to limited to uh, like now it's called justice uh, and just was miserable there. And uh, that's
0: where I, that's where I jumped ship. Yeah. Wait, quick question for real. What was your yeah. most miserable moment in corporate America? Oh my God. Um,
1: being, uh, I remember one point in time I had uh, you work with, when you're in design, you work with these buyers is what they call them. And, one uh, buyer was like, they kept removing all these colors from the palette. And I was like, there should be blue in this. Like, you you know, there should be blue, even though it's a girl's thing. There should have blue in here. And we were in a meeting with all the higher ups and the, I think it was the president or somebody like somebody high up was like, why isn't there blue? And this person just turned to me and said, yeah, why isn't there blue? Oh. And it was just like, I was like, done. Like the, I, that was the last. And I do remember that, that conversation was like, I, that and then the other was um my boss at the time who had become a good friend like my review he said i can't believe i'm gonna tell you this but like you you're not gonna ever make any more here and you've kind of tapped out and i remember going to him my answer to him was uh well just so you know this is my notice like i I, a year from now i'm out of here and they thought i was joking i was you know and i went home and told my wife i was like you know i don't know how but twelve thirty one oh six is my last day. I cannot work here. I cannot work for anybody ever again. And uh, and yeah, and I haven't. So um, it's it's not been easy for sure, as you can see. by that, that about it's been many twists and turns. But yeah, it's uh, I wouldn't change it for a world. But yeah, corporate America was not fun for a creative for sure. Wait, I was going <laughs> to say I, it have,
0: wasn't. I have not had a boss since two thousand and three. It's the last time I had a boss, and I said to someone the other day. Best thing in the world, not having a boss and not having meetings. Oh, a boss is a meeting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I
1: tell kids, I open my thing, my, my conversation with kids up with, um, I introduce myself. I said, my name is Jason Tharp. I work at a place called Wonderville Studios. And the best way I can describe how I do my job and I pause and I'm like, I get paid to do whatever I want. And, you know, these kids are just like, oh, and I say like, just imagine what you dreamed of doing right now, whatever age you are. That is the most important thing to you. And then you get to grow up to be an adult and people pay you for it. That's exactly what I get to do. And I got there because like you said, like getting rid of the boss, like it was, it was, you know, there's a lot of other things, but it was for sure getting rid of the, the, especially when you're a writer or you're some sort of creative, I, you could probably answer better than me, but like, I always felt like I was creating for them but they wanted to use me and my creativity, but then they kind of wanted, it's like they wanted to like enter your body and make your hand move and do the drawing, yeah. but they couldn't explain how to do it. <laughs> you're just like, well, why don't I just do this myself? And then I can have much more fun at it.
0: Wait, so you're this guy, you're like, I hate my job. Blah, 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 blah. I really want to be an illustrator and, a, and an author and I want to write these books. So how do you do that? How do you transition from being a just a corporate... Grunch.
1: What I did back then was um, I asked to be moved to a different position that was like took would take less time. I guess I it's been sixteen years. I can let the secret out of the bag now. So um, I I would ask for a part that I knew I could do the work really fast, (laughs) and then I would meet and I would meet with the buyer, and I would get all the week's work on Monday, and I would do it all on Monday, and I got a second monitor, and I put my work on one monitor and their work on another monitor. So, and my, my, I put a little mirror on my desk so I could see behind me and I would just click over if somebody was coming and I would build what would become like, you know, my first company, so to speak. And then um, I traveled and started networking with people. Cause you know, this was like, this was like early, let's see, it was been 2000. It was, well, it was 2006 cause twelve thirty one oh six. 106. So yeah. So like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of like networking stuff yet available online. So I was like, I would get an email from somebody or a phone and I would be like, Hey, I, I want to come and talk to you in person. And I would just kind of go to where they were and I would learn all this stuff. And then, um, you know, it was just like kind of a lot of doors started opening. And then I found some people that were willing to kind of invest in it,
0: invest in you.
1: Yeah. Just basically invest in me as far as like, I have an idea for a brand. We're going to go out and try to launch it. And, you know, it was like people gambled, you know, and um, it failed miserably. And so I had to like, you know, learn, you know, like, like the hard way. Like, I mean, I, I ended up like crazy debt, ended up like, you know, all this stuff off of taking this jump. Right. And, you know, when you go from making like, decent money. I was doing pretty well to making $0. And you think that, you know, I learned the lesson of, uh, you know, like I have a son who loves basketball and I'm like, your heroes make it look easy because they've practiced so much. They've put in those hours. Well, I thought the same as me, like my heroes, they made it look easy. Like I could do that. And I would just leave. You don't realize how much knowing people, how much, you know, trying to like you know, you're going to make a million things before something goes, you know, you know how it is. Like how many times you've got to edit a story? You know, it's like, even those ones that are like, you know, the simple, like see Dick run, you know, see Sally squat, like all these, even those I would argue are harder to write. Like the bunny will not smile books and stuff like that are so much harder to write than like, say the nugget dog books, because there's so many rules. You can't, you think about like you—you you have to have certain word counts. You have to have certain words. They can't be too long. They can't be too hard for the kid to understand. Like, and you—you you see those things at the surface level. You think it's easy. And so, yeah, I just—I just literally quit. Started, had decent success. Got to you know from that—that that thing failed. But then I kind of built a new thing. But well, wait, and when then, you say um, when you
0: say that thing, what do you mean by that? Yeah, thing
1: failed. My—I my, had a brand that I called Quirky uh, Mansfield that we started. That was like. We did like t-shirts and stuff like that. And um, it, it just, it failed, you know, by my own stupidity, probably like, you know, ego driven, like dumb, like just a bunch of dumb mistakes that you just don't at the time realize that a conversation would have cleared up a bunch, but instead like your, your ego's bruised or you think that you're right. And so you, you know, you're young and stupid. You just kind of do, you know, you stick behind your guns instead of just saying like, all right, let's figure this out which led to like, you know, legal fees and all that crap like that. But then after that, I, I, because I was in a desperate spot, um, decided to create another brand, but I sold it. And in that one, you know, it was like, you just feel like you're not, you're not connected to it. And then I started, uh, then once that one, I got done with that one, I moved on to another one. And then it was during that process where I started going like, well, wait a minute. Like my whole life, I had teachers tell me that I wasn't a good writer And they had told me, I remember my eighth grade guidance counselor telling me I wouldn't amount to anything because all I do is draw over stuff. So I started reflecting back, like, wait a minute, people keep investing in my talent. I'm the one writing these bios. Somebody's editing them, but I'm writing them. And I'm creating the characters. And I started like thinking, like, well, what would happen? And then that's where, as I explained to kids, I'm like, this is where the mind blown happens, where I said, like, it started with a question for me was like, I wonder what would happen if I started chasing my big dreams. Like if as an adult, I decided to say no to everything that an adult should say yes to and yes to everything a six-year-old would say yes to. And that's where I kind of leaned into the weird part, right? And started like attacking those insecurities I had, which is where you see in all those books is they're all, it's okay to be unicorn. It is a story about me. It is not a story about a unicorn. It's a story about me feeling uncomfortable in my skin and coming to terms with telling the world that, Hey, I want to be a writer. And, um, you know, it was like, because the thing is for me, I never understood punctuation, grammar, all that stuff. It never, it still does not make any sense to me. It's like, it's like looking at a foreign language and, um, I just can't comprehend that, but my imagination is crazy big. And so I can write, And it was my first editor at Scholastic, which, you know, was my first publisher. So you go from like zero to Scholastic and you're like, oh God, like, you know, I'm having a heart attack because I've never written actually anything ever. And she said to me the best thing ever. She just said, uh, I I remember sending the email and I said, I almost threw up sending this to you. And she was like, why? And I'm like, because I'm not a good writer and. She said, that's nonsense. Who told you that? She's like, you're a great writer. She's like, you write in your voice. She's like, that's hard. She's like, your grammar is bad. She's like, but that's my job. And I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean? She goes, my job is to fix your grammar. She goes, just write. And it was like giving at six-year-old me inside a pencil and saying draw. And I just, I mean, dude, when I'm talking write, I mean, I probably wrote 50 books. Like, you know, over the like two-month period, I just was nonstop, had all this stuff. And, you know, and, um, you know, so like every day I write and every day I do, you know, my grammar still sucks. I you'll see in my site, like, I think it says in the, uh, the brain inspirations part, it says like attention, grammar police, like, you know, I don't care what you think. Like, I know my grammar sucks. Like I'm aware. Like, so if you're going to judge me on my grammar, like, you know, correct it for me if you want, but uh, <laughs> when did your yeah. first book come out? The first one was in 2015 or 2016. It's hard to tell
0: how many books total have you written by now
1: that have been published. Um, I think I'm at 16 right now that are out and then there'll be three more this year. I moved into self-publishing now, so I can, you know, back to that whole thing. I'm no bosses. Now I can write with the self-publishing what I actually want to say and don't have anything, you know, anybody telling me like that won't sell or that's not, you know, I've been in front of, you know, I was before COVID, I was averaging about, between 40 to 50,000 kids a year that I was speaking to and tons of school visits. And I asked lots of questions and I do one thing that adults, I think fail to do is ask a question. Then I shut up and listen to what they say. Yeah. And then like, I hear what they say and then I write to address that. But the cool part is, is I have those same insecurities that I had as a kid and I didn't forget it. So I sat down and I write to me like that part of me inside of me that felt that same way. And it's almost like a, each book is a therapy session where I can kind of like go back in and say all the stuff. And, you know, it's all books that I wish that when I was that age I had that just, you know, and, and then I have the ability to kind of like, you know, use levity in that situation with the kid, you know, to talk about funny, like, you know, and and the kid doesn't understand that they're actually learning something about themselves. They just think it's funny because they use the word fart in a story or something like that, you know, and, and their guard goes down and you can kind of slide one right in there. And they go like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, and at the end, you ask a question, like, you know, like for the unicorn book, I said, what part do you think Cornelius the lead started to believe in himself? And they'll say stuff like the scariest part when he thought that nobody cared, you know, exactly. You know, like that's, you nailed it. Like that's where you're going to find, you know, when you need to love yourself the most is when you think nobody cares. And, uh, Yeah, kids aren't as dumb as what us adults would like to think they
0: are. (laughs) They get dumb when they become adults. See, that's the trick.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, kids, adults are just broken kids. That's all they are.
0: (laughs) Before we continue with two writers slinging yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my wife, Catherine, who spent today recording the audio of her upcoming July book release, First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. Like I gotta say, you seem pretty nervous about it. Well, my voice gets sort of weird sometimes. I got to disagree with that. You sound great. And that's why I'd love for you, Catherine, to be the new spokesperson for Royal Retros, the sponsor of this podcast. Royalretros.com has all sorts of throwback hats, t-shirts, jerseys. It's the greatest. So do we have a deal? That's sort of wonderful. Oh, uh, maybe not. Um, all right, so a year and a half ago, as you noted and uh, in your website, You had a seizure and it turned out you had a brain tumor. I guess, number one, what was that experience like? And number two, how did that affect you as a, I guess, as a person and as an author? So it was actually just last July. So it's not been quite a year yet, but yeah, it's, uh,
1: it it was, uh, weird. You know, it was like, I, I was talking, uh, on the phone to my son's, uh, basketball coach and, um, everything was normal you know, and I'm talking. And all of a sudden, what I remember was like, I had something to say, but I couldn't put the words together. And the next thing I know is I'm, I'm waking up and my, my head is down and my phone is ringing in my lap and it's the coach calling. And I was like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? And he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. And he says, uh, are you sure? It sounded like you went underwater for a minute. I'm like, underwater that's weird and i'm like no i fell asleep i said which is so strange but you know i'm okay and then i got up to go to the bathroom and, and i had a studio space that had uh, the bathroom was down a hallway and as i'm walking in the hallway i'm looking down i was like my shoes aren't on my feet and i'm like what is what's the deal and then i went to the bathroom and uh i had peed my pants which you know as a 44 year old adult you're like you know how did i do that and uh and then I found, I went back in and looked for my shoes. I could not find them, And there was a loft in the building I was in. I never went in ever. And my shoes were in the farthest corner away, stacked on top of each other. And it was just very weird. And, uh, I ended up going home. And of course I was embarrassed. I'm carrying my backpack in front of me and jump. I just run straight upstairs. I'm gonna take a shower and, uh, I'm in the shower and I feel like I'm floating. It just felt really off. And, uh, Luckily our son's good friend's mom is a pediatrician. So, uh, my wife had like messaged her and kind of, you know, Hey, this is what's happened. He's got like a red spot on his head. And she had had, she advised to go to the urgent care and went to urgent care and they were like, you know, well, we can't figure this out. This is weird, but go across the street to the emergency room and they'll do a CT scan. I went over there and, uh, did the scan and, uh, doctor comes in. He's like, you're going to hang here until they get a bed open at the hospital. I was like a bed for what? And he's like, you have a shadow. And I'm like, I'm going to the hospital for a shadow. Like, I don't understand what you mean. He's like, he goes, look, you just have to trust me. This is where I would send a family member. And, uh, next thing I know I'm at the hospital. Um, they do an MRI in the middle of the night. Uh, they I'm sitting there for like six hours. Like my wife and I are, and I don't, I still know what the heck is going on. And they come in and they said, uh, like, a really young doctor comes in and, sh- and she reads the chart. She's like, has anybody read this to you? I'm like, no. And she goes, oh, it looks like you have a high-grade glioma and just walks out with no explanation. <laughs> and we're like, and I'm thinking, like, and so the whole time I'm going, like, you know, you have to understand, like, I'm kind of in and out of it. I'm understanding parts, but not understanding parts. And I'm like, you know, I do the worst thing ever. And I'm like, hand me my phone. Oh, no. <laughs> and I yeah. thought... I doctor Googled it, you know, and, uh, got to the first sentence and I just handed it back to her. I was like, yeah, I don't want to read that. And, uh, but yeah. So then uh, all of a sudden, like, you know, I thought that it was just a day, but it was three days. Um, I was there and, uh, the doctor shows up and he's like, Hey, you're going to, we're going to go in there and we're going to get this thing out. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, and you know, uh, just, it was, I asked for them to not get the twilight medicine before going into surgery because for whatever reason I wanted to be alert. And uh as I'm going in, it was like this on the month, there was like four monitors on all walls and like on each one was a scan of my brain. And uh the next thing I know, like I hear like they're all in these, all the nurses and stuff are kind of on iPads doing their thing. And I hear like the person that wheeled me in say, like, you know doctor, uh, doctor 60 seconds out. And it was like the room came to life. And next thing I know, I was getting woken up by somebody, this, this woman that was wearing a wonder woman lanyard. And we talked about the wonder woman movie and stuff. And, uh, I was like, so when do we start? She goes, Oh honey, you're done. Like you've been done for three hours. And then it was like, from that second, like, as soon as I got up to the ICU, Alex was my first nurse. And I said, Alex, I will not be in this bed long. Like we got to get this going. And Um, the next day, uh, or I think that day I, I, they had me up and then I started doing, um, physical therapy came in, I did stairs, I was talking and they were like, are you not dizzy? And I was like, no. And they were like, well, we need to get you out of ICU. And then I think I was home two days later. Um, you know, and just, uh, it, you know, and I've been lucky that, you know, my tumor is on the outside. Um, so they were able to remove it all. I've had, you know, six clear scans actually start month five of chemo tonight um but it's a it's brain chemo is much different than what you would expect from other chemo and then um yeah and and as far as how it's changed me as a person um god everything that's the best way i can describe it like you you um i don't take a single moment for granted anymore like it's i've always been a spiritual person um but it's a much different level now. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't engage in like dumb stuff anymore. Like I don't think about what such and such is doing. Like I, I unplugged, I mean, literally talk about the quickest thing I did was I unplugged from anything political. It was like gone. Like, I'm like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, you know, and, and just really maintain stress. I've changed my diet completely. I went from, you know, eating stuff that, uh, you know, like breads and pastas tonight, like very strict keto, but I do intermittent fasting. Like, you know, I, I just really went all in on, and I wear this thing. You, you can kind of see on my head. It's called an optune O P T U N E. If anybody listening, look it up. It is a really amazing technology. Um, but it's low, it's low frequency electricity. that's going through my brain at all times. It's, uh, causes, uh, I think it's called apoptosis. I think is how you pronounce it. Like, uh, basically suicide cells. So as a cancer cell divides, it makes two imperfect cells and they kill themselves. And, um, so I wear that to kind of keep it under control. But, um, yeah, man, every like in terms of changing me, it's like it it felt like purpose was given in that moment. And there's so many weird things that have happened that you can't help, but realize that that's what it was. Um, that, this had to be part of my story, if that makes sense. And that, like, I've been given this opportunity and it will not be wasted on me, you know? So um, in a lot of ways, this book being, this book banning that happened to me is also a confirmation of that I'm on the right path because look at, I mean, you and I didn't know each other. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, you know, I was just a guy trying to figure out how to get kids to believe themselves. Now I have an opportunity to be, you know, in the public to talk with kids about this stuff on a bigger scale i mean March, may 20th i'm they going to illinois the governor of illinois invited me to come do a reading at the governor's mansion like it's like all this stuff because of this intersection of something horrible happening in my life but my mission and project but it also had to do with me i needed to heal from it too and i needed to let all my past shame and and all this stuff that I had held on to for so long and these bad stories, which are BS stories, let that go. And um, yeah, man, it's, it's been, if I could bottle it for people and to, without anybody having to go through something like a, a tumor, I wish I could, but the problem is is everybody's got to fall at some point before they wake
0: up. So does, um yeah. Does going through that make you more or less comfortable with your own mortality? Oh boy. That's a tough
1: question. I think that it made me understand that everybody dies. Like we're not, there's no cheat code, right? Like nobody has figured out how to come back or to beat it. Um, And what it did for me was it made me like choose to live. Right. If that makes sense. Like instead of, Instead of just like, Oh, here's another Monday. It's like, you know, I wake up every day. Like it used to be, I mean, dude, when I say I would say bad stuff to my, I mean, I I hated myself. Like I would, you know, I, I really, I would, I would have these moments where speak into a room with like 2000 kids and like this really profound moments. And I'd get back in the car and it was like, you know, what do you like? Nobody gives a crap what you had to say. Like, you're a horrible person. Like, you know, like there's nothing good about you. And I would just sit there and just beat myself up until I went back to my home base, which was feeling like crap about myself. And now every day I wake up in the morning and I wash my hands, splash water on my face. I'm like, man, it's good to see you. And I fist bump my mirror. Like, it's like you, you look at life as a series of moments that you have the opportunity to choose what you want to see. Like, you know, and I think that's the part that, you know, like I remember watching the matrix again. Like I watched the first time I liked it, but then I'll watch it. Now I rewatched it now with like kind of, knowing what I know now kind of thing. And I think it's true. Like you can unplug and see what version of the world you want to see. And I really do feel that fear is always the lead dog because it's always in your face. Right. But if we can just kind of turn our head a little sideways and look past that, you'll see that love is over in the corner. It's just waiting for you to see it and step towards it. Problem is, is people won't do that because that's scary. Because if I do that, then that means, you know, boy, you know, if I'm you and I'm like, you know, you know what you want to do. Well, all of a sudden now, if I got to go, like, I have to accept that I'm wrong on some things. That means I'm uncomfortable. That means I got to work on something and I don't want to do that because that makes me feel weird. That's what I've learned more than anything is just to take my life as like a gift and it's magic and I get the unique ability to be a storyteller that can tell a story and I can connect with kids and adults. And, uh, that, that to me is everything. And so, you know, does the, and I also feel like that kind of gives me more time, right. It kind of, you know, I feel like odd parts of me is like, I feel like that gives me more time. Uh, it's part of my healing. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I think Steve Pressfield has this, like, really, uh, is it, I always mess up the title the war of art, I think is what it's called. Not the art. Yeah. The war of art. And he talks about it as like, you know, people that get cancer and they um, end up like, I think he says he uses something like she starts this Tex-Mex restaurant or something like that. And he's like, you know, do we have to be told that we, we have cancer in order for us to finally start living? Like, I, and I, that's true. I mean, it, that statement having gone through it is 1000% true that whatever it is in your world, something is going to have to happen until you truly live. That's what I feel like I've been kind of lucky to be able to to have. And now that's what kind of my mission is to like hopefully wake people up to their
0: lives. Well, thank you, Jason, for doing this. I, uh, I really appreciate it. And, uh, Absolutely, man. Thank great. you. I want to thank today's guest, Jason Tharp, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Jason on Twitter at W-N-D-E-R-F-R-I-E-N-D-S and visit his website, YourDreamsLiveHere.com If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders and Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money for doing this, and I rely on word of mouth. Music is by the great MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding.